0: Everybody's looking for the key to success, to help them grow, to become more successful. You're not going to find it in a sales book. You're not going to find it in a marketing book, a book on competitive advantage, a book on strategy, a book on innovation. No, it's going to be an understanding how to build mental toughness, resiliency. That's what you need. That it's a set up, not a setback, because I refuse to allow a negative circumstance to dictate my life. You think it's actually going to work out that way. <laughs> Here's the thing that you don't understand is that it's never going to beat me down. It's never going to defeat me. I'm never going to allow this to beat me because life doesn't happen to me, it happens for me. There are demons all around us. Demons in the form of fear, anxiety, guilt, depression, sadness, bullying, learned helplessness, negativity. And if we allow these demons to control us, we will only continue to lose the battle on mental health. It's time for us to cut the crap from our lives and go on offense against these demons by building mental toughness and resiliency. That's why you're here. My name is Ryan Calagiri and welcome to the Cut the Crap Show. Alright, what's going on everybody? Hope you're all having a great start to your week. This is yours truly, Ryan Caligiuri, on this week's episode of the Cut the Crap Show, where every single week, I'm reading a book, condensing that book, Downward's Core Golden Nuggets, bringing the author on the show, having a conversation about the Golden Nuggets. You know what I'm doing here every single week, just trying to save you a little bit of time, bring you some information that can spark, change in your life. And I'm just trying to help you build resilience and help you create your eight every single day. So I got a little bit of a sore throat, a little bit of a cold, so hopefully it comes across still high energy, what have you. Back sore. If you're watching the Create Your Aid vlogs, and you know kind of the back issue I've been having this week, but in any case, we press on, we keep going, and uh, you know we stay focused on our goals. We know what we're trying to do here. So, before we kick into this week's episode, I want to do a quick plug for one of my most favorite podcasts. that's happening out there right now. It's called The People's Scientist, and it's done by none other than yours truly, sister, Stephanie Caligiri, and uh, she's a neuroscientist with Mount Sinai Hospital, and she's absolutely killing it. The podcast is awesome. She essentially takes all of her research and condenses it down to a handful of golden nuggets, very similar to how I do my own. She does things like covering off uh, topics such as bone broth, intermittent fasting, our brain on junk food, apple cider vinegar. The latest one she did was the surprising results of plant-based diets, so... It's all really important information. And again, as we talk about creating our eight, as we talk about living our best lives, diet, your health, it plays such a big factor in everything that we do. If you don't have your health, you don't have a whole hell of a lot. So I definitely recommend this podcast. Go over there, subscribe, and whatever you do with my podcast, do it with hers as well. But uh, she's killing it. She's doing great things. So I just want to do my part to support her as her big brother and uh, get the good word out there. So get over there and subscribe. All right, so this week, what are we talking about? We're talking to none other than Meg J. Her book is called Supernormal The Untold Story of Adversity and Resilience. Any book that has resilience in the subtitle, I gotta pick it up, I gotta read it. And uh, Meg is an awesome person, really love talking to her. So if you haven't heard of her, let's uh, dig into this one by having her introduce herself to us first.
1: Okay, um, I am a clinical psychologist, which means, you know, I'm a psychologist who works with people some in private practice, some on university settings, some in community settings. But I I basically work behind closed doors with people, and I learn a lot from listening. And usually the books I write about are things people come into my office and they say, I feel like the only one with this. I feel alone with this. I feel like no one understands this. And if I hear that from enough people, it makes me think someone needs to write a book about this so that people can see that not only are they not alone, but they're actually in some really good company.
0: Now, before we kick into this episode, I had to ask Meg what supernormal meant to her, and especially in the context of this book.
1: Uh, Well, supernormal is a word that means above the normal or average. And in the book, I'm talking about kids who then become adults, because I actually work with adults, but I've learned a lot about childhood adversity by listening to adults talk about how they grew up. What was difficult and what helped. Um, and so, what I've found is, like I said, a lot of my clients come in and they say, I feel different from other people. Nobody would understand this. I feel abnormal. Um, when really, what I see is that my clients oftentimes are something more like supernormal, which mm-hmm. means above the average or normal, in that they have better than expected outcomes after some pretty tough beginnings. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to do with that title is to help people shift from seeing themselves from abnormal to supernormal Mm -hmm. and to really claim sort of a heroic narrative for themselves.
0: Now, I'm always a fan about perspective shifts and reframing language to help suit your positive mental state. Far too often, we just take in information, we look at it as negative, and that's how we perceive it. We don't do anything to try to reframe that in a positive sense, and we need to do that. We have to do that, it's absolutely critical. And on that note, we get into golden nugget number one, which is all about adversity. And the fact that childhood adversity is responsible for almost 80% of mental health issues when people grow up. So why is that? Why is it that adversity at a young age contributes to mental health problems when we get older? When I look at it, adversity can either be good or bad. In most cases, I look at it as good because my perspective looks at adversity as something that's challenging me, something that I have to defeat, something that I have to get better at. So adversity to me is seen as positive. But at a young age, if you don't have the right seeds planted, if you don't have the right perspective, if you don't have the right roadmap to resilience to help you deal with adversity properly, it could have negative side effects. So let's hear what Meg has to say about that.
1: Yeah, so we know that childhood adversity is the 10 most common. I probably won't be able to rattle off all 10, mm-hmm. but I can give you a good sample. So mm-hmm. Uh, You know, growing up with alcoholism or substance abuse in the home or having a parent or sibling with mental illness, growing up with domestic violence, sexual abuse, having a parent in jail, poverty, you know, or chronic stress, that living with most childhood adversities like the ones I just named are chronic problems. They're not it's not a one time problem to have a parent who's an alcoholic. It's a problem every Saturday night or every night And so what happens when you're growing up and your brain and your body are forming, and if you live with chronic stress, that has an impact on your brain and your body. And it makes you much more at risk than people who don't grow up with stress like that for all sorts of uh, mental or physical health problems. It doesn't mean you're doomed because life can change and there can be some unwinding, which we're going to get to that. But it does mean, you know, a lot of my work with clients is helping them understand these are the things you're at risk for or this may be why you're experiencing depression or anxiety or eating problems or sleep problems. But there's something we can do about that now.
0: I still want to dig into this one a little bit deeper on this golden nugget because we haven't yet addressed the whole idea that childhood adversity can either be good or bad, depending on how severe the adversity is the child faces. But you can hear stories about young children going through horrific adversity, horrific. I'm talking about seeing their parents being murdered, um, them being raped. Them being abused at such a young age, and yet they grow up and they use that adversity to fuel their success, their power, their resilience later on in life. That is absolutely amazing to me. And so I want to dig into that a little bit more with Meg and see what she has to say about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, everything is mixed, right? And so, um, so, right. So, the you know, for most resilient folk, they'll say some good things came out of the bad things that happened in my life. But You know, kind of expanding on the question you asked before, what's difficult about chronic adversity doesn't mean it won't down the line, make us a stronger person or a more empathic person or whatever the case may be. But along the way, being exposed to chronic stress, um, you know, kids like this or teens like this or adults like this are living in a low level of fight or flight all the time. And so what that does is that overexposes your brain and your body to stress hormones, which you know, we're flooded with when we're living in fight or flight. And that has a negative impact on cognitive functioning, mental health, physical health, like we talked about, puts you at risk for some problems down the line. So chronic adversity is, it accumulates. And so over time, it isn't a good thing to live with stress that we can never get out of, or we feel we have no, no control over. But many people, especially when they get on the other side of it, and they are out of it, will say, hey, you know, in these ways, I, I feel stronger, I feel more empathic, I feel more strategic, I feel more capable, maybe than people who haven't um, had to overcome
0: these obstacles. All right, let's get on to golden nugget number two, which talks about resilient people and their fighting spirit. Research has found that people who are more resilient have a stronger fighting spirit than those who aren't as resilient. So what is this fighting spirit all about?
1: well you know it comes straight out of fight or flight so i think that you know what i hear from a lot of my clients is when i was growing up whatever it was that was going on in my home having a sibling with mental illness or living in poverty or having a parent in jail that there was a sense that they weren't going to accept the situation the way it was they weren't going to let that define them they weren't going to let that negatively affect them And of course, in some ways, you know, we don't have total control over how adversities affect us, but there's a spirit of, I'm not going to let this do me in. And of course, there's more to overcoming adversity than that, but that sort of fighting spirit is an important part of the process. And there've been some really cool studies. Uh, I'll mention one uh, from prisoners of war in Eastern Europe, and they looked at the prisoners of war you know were kept for many years in some pretty awful conditions and some of the prisoners many years later after they were freed suffered from PTSD and others did not and what differed was not the treatment that they'd received but it was what the, it was the internal monologue they were having or the dialogue they were having with themselves when they were in when they were in captivity the ones who said This isn't going to defend me. This is not going to defeat me. This won't be the end of me. Even though they all received the same treatment, and on the outside, everyone complied with what was required, once they were out of captivity, the people who kind of had that fighting spirit inside and said, this isn't going to end me, did better after the fact. And I hear this from clients every day in my office who will say, I remember as a kid saying, This isn't going to ruin my life. This is not going to be who I am. I'm going to get out of this. And then, of course, there's more to it than just saying that. But I think it's an important place to start to feel like that we have control and we can be bigger than the problems around us.
0: All right. Something we still got to touch on that we didn't talk about, which is fighting spirit. Is that something that's developed over time or is that something people are just born with? Was I born with a strong fighting spirit? Or did I develop my fighting spirit? I know personally, I developed my fighting spirit by going through adversity as a kid, adversity through sports, adversity through school, adversity through just failing and learning and having the right resources, the right education, the right supporters, the right network to help bring me up, to help me build my confidence, believe in myself. But I'm interested in learning if some people were just born with that fighting spirit. So let's hear what Meg has to say about that.
1: You know my my thoughts on in, in most things in psychology it's usually of course you know fifty fifty or course. some of one and some of the other that you know for anybody out there who have kids you know you know some kids just come out you know they're born swinging you know they're totally. they're ready to take on the world no matter what's going on at any time <laughs> um, for other people you know the circumstances will draw it out of them and so I think what's nice about the modern resilience literature is that it 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 doesn't it, you know, it doesn't ever suggest that, you know, some people are born with what, you know, what it takes, and some people aren't. Mm-hmm. And so you're either lucky or you're unlucky. It's, it's probably a combination mm-hmm. of, you know, some people are kind of ready to face whatever comes their way, and some people aren't to be ready. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and along the way, you know, some people have more of a fighting chance than others, and mm-hmm. that there's some other factors that are important, which I know we're going to talk about
0: All right, now let's get on to golden nugget number three, which is all about building resilience through a patchwork. So if you didn't grow up to have resilient people in your life, if you didn't grow up to have strong role models, if you didn't grow up with the right philosophies, the right education, the right teachings to help you build resilience, what Meg says is as you grow up, you develop a patchwork of different elements that help you build resilience. So let's find out what patchwork is all about.
1: Yeah, this is actually one of my favorites. So in Supernormal, I'm really talking about, you know, like you said, a patchwork of strengths or um, assets that people have or that they find to help them be resilient. And again, it's never one thing. It's not like you have it or you don't have it. And this is one of my favorites. Because it's it, it's not something that lies within the individual it's something you do and so resilient kids resilient teens resilient adults will often say you know I didn't what I had going on at home wasn't so great but I went out and I found other people or I spent a lot of time at my best friend's house or I spent summers with my grandmother or I was being bullied at school but then I found you know a after-school program where I did judo and there was a coach who really believed in me. And one of the, actually, there is no silver bullet for resilience, but if I had to pick one, um, all of the research shows that the best predictor for how people fare after adversity, after trauma, is how alone they felt
0: hmm.
1: during and after the experience. And so this one's really important because I think when we talk about resilience, especially in Western kind of ways Mm -hmm. it tends to be what's that personality trait that allows people to to persevere you know we think about grit or we think about the fighting spirit we were talking about but actually over time that's exhausting to Mm -hmm. fight all the time and to feel like you have to be gritty all the time and so over the long run what helps people be resilient and not just survive but also thrive is being able to connect with other people who can support you who care who Know about your experience so you don't feel so alone. That's actually one of the best predictors of long-run resilience, not just short-term survival.
0: Now, this point that Meg brought up actually made me think all the way back to episode 100 when we had Dan Pink on talking about his bestseller, When. In there, Dan talks about the importance of surrounding yourself with people who lift you up. And on a recent episode of Create Your Eight, that YouTube channel I've created, if you're not subscribed or following me, a little plug here, get on there, subscribe, follow me, you can catch that as well. But I was talking about the blue energy and red energy and how you need to surround yourself with more people who have this blue energy around them. And I know that sounds fluffy, I even say that in the video, but you gotta follow me here. Surround yourself with people who lift you up, with people who add to your positive energy, not people who drain your energy, not people who are full of pessimism and doubt and fear and anger and frustration. You don't need those people in your life. You need more positivity in your life. You need more optimism, more enthusiasm, more resilience, more teaching, more support. So who you hang around with is really important. And I think far too many of you are hanging out with people who are taking away your energy and not adding to it. So I had to ask Meg about any advice or any experience she has for people who are surrounded by those who aren't necessarily supportive. What does she have to say to them?
1: Right. Well, it's so important and you're you're absolutely right. And in terms of, you know, sort of the population we're talking about today, which by the way is 70% of 75% of people grew up with some significant adversity. Hmm. Who you surround yourself with, who you partner with, who you are friends with, whether or not you have a therapist or a minister or a teacher who cares, it's so important because the chronic stress we talked about of adversity that most people are harmed in the context of relationships, that relationships that have been interpersonally stressful, you know, having an alcoholic parent or a mentally ill sibling, it's so important in adulthood to have relationships that are... Healing, not Mm. hurtful. Um, And so in the same way that being with people with problems increases our stress and puts us at risk for all sorts of mental and physical illnesses, people who are able to have a supportive, caring, curative role or effect in our lives actually downshift that. So sometimes people hear about the research around childhood adversity and it puts you at risk for everything from A to Z and they think, well, I'm done for, I'm doomed. But actually, what we don't hear about enough is that kids and teens who are able to, often as young adults, which is one reason why I work a lot with young adults, is to go out there and say, I'm going to partner with someone and I'm going to have a different marriage than the one that I saw. Or I'm going to create a peaceful, happy home unlike the one that I had. Or I'm going to have friends who support me and care about me, not like the ones who, you know, bullied me in high school That this is actually how you downshift the brain and the body and get out of that fight or flight. And this is how you disrupt that relationship between adversity and uh, physical and mental health problems is by, in large part, by getting away from the problems that were around you and then creating relationships that are healing and that undo that early stress.
0: All right. Golden nugget number four. This one's all about hero work and helping others in our own path to build in greater resilience. So what's hero work all about?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, so many people who've grown up with hard times, not to, not too surprising, turn out to be helpers That's in right. one way or another. And and the, the metaphor that I use in uh, Supernormal is the, the metaphor of the superhero. You know, every superhero has an origin story. They've got some kind of adversity that they're constantly... You know, battling against and, you know, leaping over buildings and dodging bullets. Um, and what they're also doing is going out there and trying to make the world a better place, um, you know, because of it. And that's really what you see a lot in um, adults who go into helping professions. That there's some research about how people who become doctors or ministers or teachers or social workers. Tend to come from backgrounds where they know a lot Mm. about uh, what it feels like to need help and what kind of help people need. And so they're very passionate about that. And there can be, um, you know, again, going back to the healing relationships, there can be a lot that's curative about being able to help people um, as you might have wished you were helped or Mm. being able to see a need in the world and fill it. I mean, you know, we talk about. One of the keys to happiness is having a meaningful life and mm-hmm. it, it it's it's funny because people talk a lot about meaningful work, and I realize that i I almost take the fact that that my work is meaningful for granted because all I've ever done is work with other people and help other people and sometimes I have to you know pause and realize, wow, you know I'm so lucky that every day I get up and I do work that I know and I hear matters and i and that is something, I think, that helps people feel that something good has come out of something bad. Um, and that that's an important shift, I think, for people to to make, that it has, you know, that maybe something good will come out of all this.
0: Well, yes, hero work can mean, you know, having a profession that helps people, but what about if you don't have a profession where you help people? What about if you just help people naturally, helping friends and family through troubles? helping by being a counselor helping by being a big brother a big sister helping a certain charity does that also contribute to our resilience
1: absolutely yes um but you know not everybody needs to become you know a social worker or a, a counselor or a minister or a teacher and i think we need to remember that that you know there's all kinds of research around altruism and how you know being good it, it feels good being good is good actually gave a talk not too long ago talking about altruism and was giving the example of, you know, if you're walking down the street in New York city and somebody spills their bag and you stop and you help them out, you know, you didn't have to, you don't even know them, but you stop, you help them pick up their stuff. You go on your way. What do you think to yourself? You think I'm awesome. I didn't have to help that person, (laughs) but I did. And so, I mean, there's just, as long as you're not overextending yourself, as long as you're helping people who are interested in being helped Um, There's really no downside to getting out there and helping, whether it's a neighbor, a friend, a local soccer team, your favorite charity, um, you name it, that that's good for all of us.
0: Sometimes it's just as simple as saying, do good to feel good. You want to feel good, then do good. It's just that simple. All right, moving on to golden nugget number five now. This one's all about flying away and cultivating a fantasy thought in your mind and how children who've gone through adversity thinking about fantasy thoughts in their mind, thinking about their future, thinking about what life could be, has helped them build a level of optimism. I find this one very interesting. So let's talk to Meg about this one and what her thoughts are on building this fantasy thought in our mind.
1: Yeah, this is one of my favorites too. You picked you picked some good nuggets. Mm-hmm. These are the ones I would have chosen. Because again, you know, we hear about the fight, we hear about grit, and that's, mm. that's, that's part of it, but that can't be the whole story or you're going to... Run out of gas, Um, and think about it. What are our two key survival mechanisms? They're fight and flight. Mm -hmm. And if only fight worked, flight would have, you know, found its way out of evolution (laughs) a long time ago. But but they're both really important. And so something that people don't talk about enough that I hear about all the time is uh, adults will look back on how they survived and thrived when they were younger. And a lot of them, it involved some form of creative flight. So you've got your literal flight of, well, I was always at a neighbor's house or I hung out at the library all the time, or I, I you know, played basketball instead of going home. But for a lot of kids, they'll also say, I always had my nose in a book hmm. that I was, you know, I could be someone else when I read a book, I could be somewhere else. Um, or I did theater. Um, Viola Davis has an amazing supernormal story, which is in the book. And there are a lot of public figure stories in the book too. Um, but she talked about when she did theater, she could be some somewhere else. She grew up with extreme poverty and abuse and alcoholism mm-hmm. in the home. And so we don't hear about this one enough. And we, I think we kind of You know, glamorize the fight aspect, but the flight aspect is so creative and so important. And that a lot of kids say, you know, I just had a really rich fantasy life, or I played make believe all the time, or I went out and poked around in nature and just flew away, got away in my own mind. And we know that having creating a space between yourself and your problems is really important. And for kids and teens, often. They can't create that space because they're in the house with their problems. They can't literally fly away. So they find ways to do it.
0: When we talk about create your eight, CY8, your path to creating your eight, one of the things I like to talk about early on is setting goals for yourself. Goals that get you excited. Goals that have you anticipating something. Goals that focus you. So when we're talking about escaping to this fantasy land, we're talking about flight. Does goals or do goals play a role in that? by thinking about your goal, where you will be in the future, is that not the same thing?
1: No, I think it's the same. And and that's a good one. I I didn't mention, but it is in the book that that sometimes often that fantasy will be, I cannot tell you how many times I've worked with young adults who said, I just decided I was going to move to California, or I just decided I was going to go to New York, or I was going to go to Georgetown, or I was going to be a student at You know, University of Washington. They just pick a goal and they say, "I'm going to do it," and that's what they become laser focused on. And it creates some organization. It creates hope. It creates Mm -hmm. you know ambition. It creates urgency. It gives, um, oftentimes, children and teens something you know something to go for. So Mm -hmm. a way to imagine getting out and a way to organize that. And then they often get out. And, go, and then once they're out, they have a, the opportunity to go, wow, you know, mm-hmm. now it's time to unpack what just went on in the last 15 or 20 years. That's but right. um, that, it can be a very, um, you know, motiva- motivating and organizing way to mm-hmm. succeed is to pick a goal in the future and say, I'm just going to be laser focused on that.
0: All right, let's wrap this thing up with golden nugget number six, only human. Now, resilient people, they wear their resilience like a badge of honor. And they say, listen, it's tough for people to get to me. It's tough for things to get to me because I am resilient. And people start to look at you as somebody who's very resilient. And so you start to feel like, "Uh oh, I have to be resilient and I can't let things get to me. But that's not fair because you are only human. People who build resilience are still human. And just because you're resilient, that doesn't mean that you're not allowed to feel sad. doesn't mean you're not allowed to feel angry or that you're not allowed to lose control of your emotions. That happens to everybody. And I think it's important for us to understand that resilient people are still able to deal with the anger, are still able to feel anger, are still able to feel sadness. So I think it's really important that when we talk about super normal, that doesn't mean that you are immune to negative emotions.
1: Yeah, this is this is, you know, the the subtitle of the, the hardback version of the book is as you said the untold story of adversity and resilience. And part of the untold story of resilience is that it's, you know, more than meets the eye. It's more complicated maybe than we like to think. And so often if I'm with a client and I'll say, you know, have you ever thought of yourself as resilient? Or you're so resilient, they'll often look at me and say, What? <laughs> no, but I'm seeing a therapist. If I was resilient, I wouldn't need a therapist. Mm-hmm. And that is so incorrect, um, because as we talked about, one thing that resilient people do is they go find helpers. They recruit help and support and people who care. So they're actually being resilient by getting into my office. Um, But also that resilient people are not immune to the effects of living in chronic fight or flight. They're human. So their brains and their bodies are also flooded by stress hormones and they may have better outcomes down the line in terms of I got out of my house or I went to a good school or I got a good job or I found a good partner and I've created a good life for myself. But as as often as a young adult or as an adult, you look around and you realize, but sometimes all the work that was required to do that has put me Has made me more vulnerable to feel depressed or to feel anxious or to have eating problems or whatever the case may be. And that doesn't mean those things can't be uh, lessened or fixed or cured. Um, But it does mean that sometimes resilient people struggle. And it was really important for me to make that very clear in the book, because I think there are a lot of people walking around. I know there are who Mm -hmm. are resilient, Mm -hmm. but they don't see themselves that way because Mm -hmm. it's been, it's been hard and they've struggled um, and there have been ups and there have been downs. And they're not perfect, but that doesn't mean they're not resilient. It just it means they're human. You know, if you, if you grow up with chronic stress, you are more vulnerable. You are more at risk for depression, anxiety, substance abuse problems. And in, in, in the stories of public figures, you will often see these elements in their story. And part of being resilient is saying, well, that's the next obstacle, and I'm going to take that one on too. And something that's really important for people to understand is growing up with adversity is not a life sentence. You're not doomed. It doesn't mean that you will necessarily be depressed or anxious or have substance abuse problems. Or if you have those things, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll have them forever. It's extremely common for young adults, midlife adults who've lived with chronic stress for 20 or so years to develop one or more of these problems because their brains, because they're human. Mm -hmm. Um, But these are treatable problems and often temporary problems and so a lot of my work with young adults with midlife adults is helping them recognize their story and what they've been through and how that might have led to the problems that brought them to my office but also to see you know we can treat this this doesn't mean that you're going to be struggling with this in five years that this is not a
0: life sentence Alright, there we have it. That's Super Normal, The Untold Story of Adversity and Resilience by my friend Meg J. Really love this book. We touched on a number of topics relating to resilience, and I hope that there was something in here that maybe sparked something in you. Maybe something that might help you, maybe something that might come in handy later on. Regardless, there were some great gold nuggets in here, and it was an honor having Meg on the show. If you love this episode, then please go online, rate and review the show, especially if you're listening on an Apple device, go to shows, go to the podcast app, go to shows, scroll up to the Cut the Crap show, and uh, preferably give me five stars. I would greatly appreciate it. Give me five stars. It sounds very bold, but I'd appreciate it if you give me five stars. So thank you so much in advance if you do that. Also, please connect with me online, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Every single day, I'm featuring a CY8 Create Your 8 vlog. If you listen to that, if you want to know how to build resilience, if you want to understand how to create your 8, then you want to subscribe to the channel. Every single day, I'm going to be putting out a brand new video. They're nice and short, three to four minutes each, very easy to watch. So you want to subscribe to that as well. So um, absolutely, connect with me online. And last but not least, if you want to support the causes that I'm supporting this month, well, not this month, this year, I'm supporting the no-kill animal shelters, shelters that need... Funding to help them buy food, help them buy um, uh, medical supplies, help them pay for surgeries for these animals that are helping other people create their aid. Because animals have such amazing power to them. And um, I just have a very special place in my heart for dogs and cats and what have you. So if you wanna donate, go to thecutthecrapshow.com. At the very top, there's a bright red button. Click that button, it'll take you to the Patreon page where you can donate $5 every single month. If you wanna do that, then please, by all means, go ahead and support that. For all of you who have done that already, Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I want to thank you every single week because it just means so much to me that you do that. So thank you so much. All right, that is a wrap for this week, everybody. So thank you again so much for your attention, for your time. You know it means a lot to me. And I'll catch you back here next week. When I have a brand new book, brand new Golden Nuggets, an interview with an author. And of course, every single week, I'm here with you just trying to save you time, bring you some information that could spark change in your life I'm helping you build resilience and helping you create your eight every single week. Have a fantastic, productive, inspired week, everybody. I love you all.
2: There are no mistakes, there really aren't any, because you have a supreme destiny. When you're in your little mind, in your little personality mind, where you're not centered, where you really don't know who you are, that you come from something greater and bigger and that we really all are the same. When you don't know that, you get all flustered. You get stressed all the time, wanting something to be what it isn't. There is a supreme moment of destiny calling on your life. Your job is to feel that, to hear that, to know that. And sometimes when you're not listening, you get taken off track. You get in the wrong marriage, the wrong relationship, you take the wrong job, Yeah, but it's all leading to the same path. There are no wrong paths. There are none. There's no such thing as failure, really, because failure is just that thing trying to move you in another direction. So you get as much from your losses as you do from your victories, because the losses are there to wake you up. When you understand that, you don't allow yourself to be completely thrown by a grade or by a circumstance, because your life is bigger than any one experience. What would you say to your younger self? Every person says in one form or another, I would have said, be okay. It really is going to be okay. Because even if you're on a detour right now, and, and that's how you know when you're not at ease with yourself. That is the cue that you need to be moving in another direction. Don't let yourself get all thrown off, continue to be thrown off course, when you're feeling off course, that's the key. How do I turn around? So when everybody was talking about, when I started this network, if I had only known, good Lord, how difficult it would be, um, the way through the challenge is to get still and ask yourself, what is the next right move? Not think about, oh, I got all of this. To what is the next right move? And then from that space, make the next right move and the next right move, and not to be overwhelmed by it because you know your life is bigger than that one moment. You know you're not defined by what somebody says is a failure for you, because failure is just there to point you in a different direction.